I'm Jeannie Holzbacher, and on behalf of myself and my fabulous co-host, Jill Wright, we want to welcome you to Executive Shine, Conversations That Count. We search the planet to bring you some of the most dynamic leaders in various industries who often only have one thing in common, uncommonly outrageous positive impact on people and businesses. They are leaving this world a much better place. So kick back and join us. Grab a few insights you can immediately apply to leverage your leadership and foster greater connection in a world that's become increasingly disconnected. They so desperately need you to shine your light bright. Cheers. I am so excited, Jeannie, about our show today. Two of my favorite people on the whole entire planet are with us today. So my friends, Doug Krug and Christine Kahane. Did I say that right, Christine? Yes. Yes, you absolutely did. Perfect. They run the Institute for Unlearning. So that is right up our line. So today we're going to talk about what is unlearning. You want to start? Tell us, Doug. Tell us about unlearning. (laughs) Well, the first thought that comes to mind is learning bad. And it's not. The issue is what happens is we learn something and then that's our frame of reference on that from that point forward. And what our work is about is helping individuals and teams within organizations realize what they need to learn given today's dynamic. It's not, it's, so it's unlearning what we learn to get us here and discovering, realizing what it is that's going to take us to where we want to go from here, the results we want to achieve. Ooh, that is so good. And I know you guys have a new book out too. So tell, like, let's dive into that a little bit more. Christine. Sure, sure. Well, the book is surprise called Unlearning. Uh, and the subtitle is Groundbreaking Leadership Through Revolutionary Thinking. And, and really what that means, it's, 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 it's just part and parcel of what Doug was explaining earlier. It's, it's coming to a realization and having a willingness to let go of some of the, the belief systems that literally run us. And, and, and often we're not even aware that those belief systems are governing all of our behaviors, our communication oh. style, the decisions we make. And, and that's, that's why we're calling it revolutionary. And it's only groundbreaking because so often we see leaders and teams when something's not working Instead of sitting back and saying, hmm, what might work better? They try harder and harder to do the same thing using more stress and effort that to get the result that keeps proving it's not working. Absolutely. So, how- so we just like take a time out, you know, take a time out team, you know, what's working really, really well for you. And how can you all working really, really well? Are we complicating it then? Are we complicating get like when we're looking at making successful business results, Mm -hmm. are we making this way too difficult? Oh, what a great question. Doug, do you have something? Did you want to hop in? We have learned how to cause stress and effort. The one thing we (laughs) keep getting better and better at is causing things to be hard when they don't have to be. One of the most frequent statements, well, let me put it, frame it differently. The most frequent call we get from a leader is we've done everything we've been told we should do. We've read the books, we've watched the videos, we've gone to the seminars, we've brought in the experts, and we do everything they tell us we should do 
and we're still not getting the results. Mm -hmm. Cannot believe how often we get that call and those conversations as a starting place. Christine just said it. We have gotten better at better at trying. That's one of the beliefs to leave behind, by the way, is that we're not getting the results we want. The belief that we inherited was it's because we're not trying hard enough instead of that. Maybe it's what we're doing doesn't work. And, and I'd like to pile on and just say that it's not only uh, that, that what we're doing, uh, that we're trying harder and harder because we're not trying hard enough. There's a, there's something underneath it that is about, we don't deserve to have it the way we want it. Like when people say, well, that's why it's called work. (laughs) Like there's this underlying belief that work should be hard. It should be stressful. If we're doing it well, we should be exhausted from it, right? If we're not bootstrapping it hard enough, how, how could we ever expect to be successful? Yeah. Those, and they're, they are so sly, these belief systems. They've overtaken us and we're, we're not even aware. Like th- there's nobody, I mean, I don't think, Doug, have we ever met a leader who is like, you know, who, well, that's not true. We've actually met leaders who said, you need to come in here and clean house for me. I've got all the wrong people. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when in How fact, many times have the two of you worked with a team or a group of leaders or a leader where they've been able to have the breakthroughs to get to monumental success but they brought their ego along. <laughs> Your questions are freaking brilliant. Um, Doug? Too many. <laughs> and But that's the starting place for us is if the leader, the degree that the leader isn't willing to start here, <laughs> looking in the mirror, There's not much we can do. And by the way, this is not about good or bad leadership. We have inherited so many beliefs about leadership that are actually limiting us from our ability to achieve what we want and what these leaders want to achieve. And that is one right there is that I have the wrong people. Mm -hmm could tell stories and we're talking about this is an organization everybody knows the name of this organization that the new leader comes in calls the head of human resources and says i want you to replace my whole team got the wrong people absolutely got the wrong people we came in at the end of only one week of conversations (laughs) nobody got replaced now what they did do is they redesigned the whole organization chart built around their people's talents. So they were, everyone on that team was in a position that used their specific talents best. And the person who had to do the most changing was the person in charge. (laughs) I think, is it possible to, because when I, I ran a couple of teams several years ago on a, on a national level. And one of the things I had to give up was that I had to have all the answers. That's prime. That's primary. You, you've just brilliantly landed on, on, on the head of the pin that a leader needs to understand about not needing to be the smartest person in the room or have all the answers. And that's also an inherited and might we say limiting belief system that the that the leader has to have all the answers what what we find is when the leader can let go of that idea and i'd love to hear if you if you how you shifted genie because it sounds like there was a shift in there at some point but when the leader shifts one of the things that comes online almost immediately is permission for every, everybody else in the room to be seen and heard Mm-hmm. And what 
what the leader finds is there are answers through this team that that have never been even talked about before but it and and what as soon as people start being seen and heard something miraculous starts occurring their innate genius starts to come online it's almost like you turn the faucet on mm-hmm. and they start thinking and feeling and 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 they you can see the feel their emotions and their thinking they they come to a nexus pl- place and and they begin to work collaboratively it's it's ab- it, it's absolutely marvelous to watch this happen so Jeannie, t- tell us did you have a moment oh gosh it was not that I can remember it was 15 years and three months ago to the day but what happened was I was my first ever senior leadership position I took over a very prestigious organization in my city three departments and everybody's like oh she's going to be you know she's dynamic she's energetic it's going to be cutting edge we're going to do all the the world had a lot of things on my shoulders on how amazing I was going to be and what I was going to do and Mm so I had 31 very strong will direct reports and um, they had an opinion on everything. And most of the time I listened, I was nine months into this role and there was one decision I had to make that I didn't listen to them on and I want a different direction and it was a mistake. Okay. Now they had had poor leadership prior to me. So I worked so hard to build credibility with them. And I remember when I realized that I'd made the wrong decision and I had to have a meeting with them the next morning I didn't sleep because I thought how can I blame it on besides me (laughs) I couldn't find anybody then I thought the other option is I could pretend that it didn't happen but everybody knows it did so then I lose credibility that way and I'm just like you know what I just got to go in and be honest and I went and I knew I was going to lose all the respect in the world and I went after working so hard to build it and I walked into that meeting and I said listen guys here's what I thought Here's what I did. Here's why in hindsight, I now know it was wrong. And you could have heard a pin drop. And I thought, there it is. I've lost every opportunity. And then one by one, well, that's okay. Well, we all make mistakes. And what I learned from them that day, they rallied around me instead of walk away from me. And what they taught me was people can forgive occasional mistakes, but they won't forgive a slip in character. So when you mess up, fess up. Wow. Okay, our work is done. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Beautifully, beautifully. What a gorgeous. But you know what else it did? It made them it made it safe for them to be imperfect. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I had no idea. Up. I thought I was going to lose everything that day and I actually gained instead. Yeah. Yep. So what did it do to the belief system that you had? It made me realize that my ego, when I get my ego out of the way, and I put my spirit and my heart into it instead, and I operate from a place of authentic honesty, that that's the way to go. And that whenever I'm struggling, uh, whenever I'm struggling with appearances or image or what other people think, that's when the ego's leading me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And when and when you lead with, I believe you named it as spirit and heart. People remember how you made them feel. And I'm using that loosely because we don't make anybody feel anything. <laughs> but the way people feel when they're around you, being authentic and leading with your heart and your spirit, you, you know, it's clear, you know, you can be a room full of brainiacs. But if, <laughs> if, if you can't also harness that spirit and that heart, it never, the, the brainiacness never turns into wisdom. failure is also highly underrated it's a great teacher (laughs) absolutely and what about your ego and the notion of failure are feel incompatible you know that's a that's a really good question what about your ego and the notion of failure feel incompatible you know it's very true there, you, it, it, the only way it's okay to fail is if you give up the ego and you give up the need to have an image. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And you know what? I heard something that we didn't mention the word, but as you were describing the, the after effect of your 
fessing up. Uh, what I heard was that trust, the, this bond of trust was built out of, out of that experience and the way that you shared yourself with your team. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. These strong-willed individuals had no trouble giving me their opinions afterwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> and how did you... <laughs> Go ahead. But you know, Jill and I, Jill, I remember when I'm listening to her, what I'm remembering is when I'm thinking about showing up and that is some of the struggle that she and I have had in different ways and similar on the whole social media marketing campaign thing is that we haven't found a way to do it that's authentic with our voice. And when we look to the left, to the right, what works for other people feels inauthentic to us. Yes. And what is there a pressure there to show up in that space regardless, even though it doesn't feel authentic? There was. We've taken it off. <laughs> we decided to just... Brilliant. But yeah, there absolutely is. Yeah. We've and, given ourselves permission to to do things in to unlearn that belief system and to move forward with the with a belief system that we know that that our work is good and and that that God is just gonna figure out a way for it to happen. And and that sounds crazy, but then a customer calls out of the blue and says hey we i love what you do i've been a customer of yours for years would you come in and and do an experience for us that teaches us how to serve mm, serve first and right serve there was jill's right there was the ideal client is because i think what we were doing was trying to figure out how to appeal to other people's ideal client and that's why it wasn't real. Yeah. What a learning. And, and it sounds like the, the, just the way that you're interacting with the screen that I can see that it, it's a really, it's a lived experience now. That's embodied. Like you don't have to go out and sort of hunt, hunt and peck for that feeling, that authentic feeling. It's, it's living. And you know, Jill, I think too, what I found, and, and this is true in business in general, I believe in different ways in different industries, but the same general concept is when you're doing what you need to be doing the way you need to be doing it, you don't have to live in fear of scarcity. Ah, thank you. And there's a way to identify that is missed, Jeannie, with what you just said. When it's working, you, you talked about what there's a way to do it that when you're doing it. We, one of the most costly beliefs to unlearn is the belief that everything will be fine when we fix everything that's not working. That is the costliest belief that has carried on in organizations. Problem solving is the problem. It is not the solution. And if there's anything that comes out of our work is the transformation from problem finding to solution finding. And here's simple. The belief that if we fix everything that's not working, everything will be fine. Here's the piece that's missing in our conscious awareness. When it's working and times when it's not working, both of those are caused. We become fascinated in our whole society with understanding what causes things not to work so we can fix them. The thing is that when it's working, it's not an accident. It's, and I believe that's a big piece of what your success has been, Jill, is you have continuously and created a climate, a culture in the people that work with you through your, your business of acknowledging and understanding what's working. So we see if we get more things, enough things working, there will be fewer things that need to be fixed. And how that little bit of common sense is missing in organizations today just staggers us. And back to what Christine said at the very beginning, the old that fits in with this is the leader is supposed to be the one that has the best answers, the ones who has it figured out. The best leaders today and tomorrow 
aren't the ones who have it figured out, not the ones who have the best answers. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who have learned how to ask the best questions. Mm -hmm. We have a chap, we have a chapter in our new book. Christine's dog. Yes. We have a chapter in our new book that is going to address this. Christine. It's called the, the, the name of the chapter is the unknown and the way we, and I'm referring back to what you said a little earlier, Jeannie about fear. And one of the things that we take apart with leaders and their teams, and it can shift an entire culture is is the underlying fear that drives most of the action, behaviors, communication, and decision-making in, in te- within teams and cultures. And what, the way we break the unknown down is into sort of three areas. And, it, and, and the idea of, of managing our fear rather than trying to ignore or get rid of it is how do we navigate the space between the no longer history, what's right, where we just came from, and the not yet, the near future. And most people are so fixated in the rear view mirror about like what they just messed up, who's to blame, how they can get out of being blamed. Jeannie, thank you for sharing that story because, uh, you know, that you spent that sleepless night, right? Or they're worried about the future, how are they going to look in the future? You know, and this is all the air, the, the terrain in which the ego lives, right? How did, how, how am I going to avoid messing up and looking bad in the future? Right. And how do I keep from being blamed for what just happened? And how do I keep looking perfect? And what we don't realize is in my opinion, everything you're talking about, is driven by shame and driven by um, fear of vulnerability and misunderstanding of it. And then you're, you're looking at things showing up like micromanagement and a need for control. That is not healthy. <laughs> no. And, and, and it sounds like you have, you have some understanding of that. What are some of the unhealthy outcomes or dis- demonstrations of that kind of environment? Well, what it does is it breeds a spirit of distrust and um, your energy is spent covering your backside. Therefore, it's not able to spend in creative innovation and problem uh, and solutions that can take your company to the next level. Your energy is only you don't you can't send it both places at the same time. No, we can only do one thing at a time after all. So the million dollar question then as leaders is we have to decide what kind of energy, what kind of energy we're going to bring to the table. Yes. Thank you for that beautiful segue, because often in a room, we'll ask, you know, how do you know when something's not working? And people are like, you know, and they're drawing big equations on the board. And, you know, when we work with engineers and they're trying to come like, how do we know when the end... And, and Doug will just hold his head up in the room and just say, we know it's sucking when the energy goes down in the room. And the, you, the room will usually erupt because people recognize it instantly. Yeah. And then- When is your book coming out? <laughs> the world ASAP. this. We're- we're in edits. We're in edits now with just a genius editor. We just adore. You've got her. to let us know because Jill and I can put it all over LinkedIn, all over everywhere, because this is a book that needs to be in the hands of every leader. Thank you. We, we agree. It's short. It's short. It's, and it's got a little workbook, you know, at the end of each chapter, some workbook questions. Um, Practical and like, application. Right so that they can actually get down to it. You don't even need to start at the beginning and read to the back. Um, And we believe it'll be out in summer, early summer of this year, 2021. Uh, Some of the other chapters are about um, agile leadership, agile culture, and how to achieve that. Uh, We have a chapter on awareness. That's the first chapter in the book. 
Um, and in each chapter, we weave through how a leader's ego can shift in any moment. Help me understand something because we've gotten so much wrong that we can get right in leadership and everything rises and falls on it. So people, people, and that's where I think the leaders need to do the work is because people need tour guides who have been there, not travel agents sending them someplace they've never been. And, and so it's really a character work and a growth and development work at the end of the day, that's going to fix the financial bottom line more than anything in my opinion, because that's going to create emotional intelligence and better relationships and better trust. Yeah. So then if I'm looking at all of this, when you are working and you guys have worked with a lot of organizations, you've got a lot of history behind your belt. When you're working with organizations, I'm going to assume, and you can correct me, that you see consistent patterns over and over again um, in the same organization, in different industries with the same issue, whether it's retention, are there, are there three or four certain bullet points that Christine and Doug, that you guys see consistently when you walk into a company struggling? Yes. Yeah, for sure. And the biggest to not lose this is the belief that those are the first things we have to fix Instead of where is it working? You would not believe in 30 years how many times, real quickie, a manufacturing organization, because they couldn't produce enough things quick enough. And the the question was, at the first morning with the executive team, was where is it working in the plant? And right away, these people getting paid all these bucks because of their big titles said, well, that's not why you're here. You're here because of these two departments. Well, what about the other people, other teams that are doing the same, have the same role? Oh, they're doing fine. We don't need any help with them. Well, what are they doing differently? And these people just looked at each other. What do you mean? So the assignment that afternoon, and we only work half days, so these afternoons are real learning experiences. The assignment was to go out to those teams that were producing the results exactly the way they wanted and ask them what they were doing differently. And then they had the teams that were struggling spend time with the teams who were doing it well, and bingo, the whole operation turned around. What they discovered was 80% of their production was working exactly the way they wanted. But 100% of their attention was on the 20% that was struggling when the answers were right there in that 80%. That's been fixated. Yeah. The answers in that 80% too are they usually, can you usually boil it down to just a couple of two, three, maybe vital behaviors? Well, I'll, the first one that comes to mind, because it links into your story behind, was the personal wake-up call myself when I started my first business. And the reason I started the business is because I had to get out of a company that where I was in charge because those people didn't know what they were doing. And I was getting ready to close the doors because I was doing so poorly. And one morning the light bulb went off. What was the one common factor with all the poor employees I had? What's your sense? What was the one common factor with all the poor employees? (laughs) You didn't have to do it that quickly, Jill. You could have struggled with this, but it was the person in charge. It was me. And that's what the beginning of all of this work over these decades had to start with me making that change myself. The manager. And yes. And it, and it, you, you named it in the first five minutes, you guys, it, you, it, you named it when the ego is leading the leader, right? That's, that, that's where all the blind spots tend to occur. And unfortunately, you know, the ego is really wily. You know, it, <laughs> it, it avoids detection and, and naming very, you know, we, be, we become masterful at it. And protecting working, ourselves. Yes. You had asked, so you had asked where were the two, three patterns. So that's the first pattern, right? Doug, Doug said, yeah, when the leader 
when the leader is blind to their own, yeah. what do we want to call it? Shortfall to shortcomings. Um, this, I think one of the, the key ones is when we consistently see that uh, we're walking into a culture where people routinely are not seen or heard. Or and respected. Equals respect, right? So Jeannie, like you said, you know, you had 31 direct reports who were very independent and, and, and had very strong opinions. If you had been a command and control kind of leader, how many of those people would have stayed with you? Probably not even half of them. Agreed. And, and as it was, my return over was less than 2%. Well, that says everything about you as a leader. Because people don't leave jobs. They lead bad bosses. And, and the really good ones leave early because they can go anywhere. That's key, too. It's not even just turnover. It's type of turnover. Are your sevens, eights, and nines leaving and your twos and threes staying? Or is it the yes. other way around? There you go. Yes. That's, that's a huge indicator. Yeah. And I think, Doug, is there another pattern you wanted to share that we see typically? Well, the, the, the other pattern is the conversations that take place outside of the meetings between the people themselves and and i'll give you another one because one of the ways for me is i go to the restroom and and no i'm serious when you go into the men's room (laughs) on an executive level and paper towels are piled on the sink or on the floor that somebody can't even get a paper towel into a trash that tells us so much about the culture there and is that peace because people will be a reflect they will care as a reflection of how they feel they're being cared for and that pattern will show up quickly and the first step when we work with an organization is one-on-one time with each individual and it's a they feel so safe so quickly with us that they share the truth of what is going on. And when you go into, and we've done, gone into organizations where nobody is talking bad about other people there, you know, right away, this is somebody who just wants to get to the next level of getting it done well. But when people don't feel safe telling their own truths, that's another pattern that tells us a lot right from the beginning. I would bet then the messy bathrooms equate to poor customer service scores. Oh, yes. And, and leaders, you know, this is the VIP bathroom that Doug's talking about, right? That where leaders don't believe in serving first. Mm-mm. Yeah. Somebody else is going to clean up after them. And yes. so they're not going to serve. They don't serve their people. It's all about being served, right? You know, that's not hard to spot, is it? I mean, the people can smell <laughs> that from a mi- mile away, and it's not a fragrant aroma. No. No. Yeah, no. And, and, and what ends up happening and what shifts a culture is that then the people start looking for evidence that, that the way they're believing is true. And then right. that's all they're seeing. And that's, that, that, that's when you see uh, more sick days less productivity, decline in innovation. Um, Now CEOs are up late at night because no innovation is happening. People are doing the bare minimum. So it starts this uh, vicious cycle in cultures. In In my company, in one company that I worked, one of the things that we were challenged with, um, because I've been in healthcare a long time, and obviously they do employee engagement surveys. And one of the things I challenged a couple of years ago was I said, Tell me about the employee engagement surveys. Do you have a way of differentiating out high performers, mid performers, or low performers? Because if 67% of your people are low to mid performers, and you're taking all of the compiling of surveys at the same percentage level, then basically we're we're being led by whiners. (laughs) 
Wow. Wow. Powerful. And And by the way, so many of those surveys are the causes of the problems because (laughs) the way the questions are worded, they cause the people to focus on the what isn't working or what's wrong with the way it is. And that so the survey intensifies the wrong aspects. So many of those surveys are actually the cause of a lot of the stress and effort that they were intended to resolve because of the way the questions were worded. I was pretty fortunate. They were able, in my case, to, they were able last year, the year before, to drill down performance-wise and mm-hmm. categorize the answers and level of performance. I don't remember how that was, but there was a way to do that. But mm-hmm. I know historically in companies, that's usually not done. And what ends up happening is we're spending our time in the tyranny of the urgent, rewarding bad behavior. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Problem fixing, right? Yeah. yeah, and you just triggered something. <sighs> Organizations tend to reward those people who find the problems and solve them and ignore the people who show up every day just getting it done well. They hardly notice those people. They don't get recognized. What gets recognized are the problem solvers. So if you create a culture that how to get recognized is to solve problems, what is that person going to be looking for? And how are they going to learn, if I may, in this unlearning, how are they going to learn how to get attention from above? is to find problems they can fix. Right. You're absolutely given- right. You're absolutely right. Rather than say, hey, let's highlight Susie over here, who's <laughs> just doing a bang up job every day seamlessly, so <laughs> seamlessly that we haven't even had to be involved with X, Y, Z. Oh, exactly. 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 So if I wanted to change that, or a person listening to us on the call, one of our listeners wanted to change that, one of the ways they could do that is start focusing on the seamless people every day. Yes. Absolutely. And then let them be seen and heard, the ones that want to. Some some don't. But you got to know your people, right? And and let them be seen and heard. Hear their great ideas. He, they they've been innovating, you know, late at night in the dark every day, every day, because that's that's the only way their innate genius has any uh, air t- gets any airtime. Yeah, a, a huge theme. A huge theme of our work is this simple statement: Why pay someone else to come in and tell your people? what they already know. (laughs) I tell you the the dramatic, profound turnarounds that we have produced, we didn't come in with the solutions. We're never the expert. We yeah, all we do is come in with get facilitate the conversations by asking the questions that allow the real solutions to come up. And we we don't impose anything on our ideas of what needs to happen. They're all there already. And and it, what we do in facilitation is make sure that they hear their own best answers out loud. That's all. That's in, in, we track on so many levels in the room, virtual or in person, yeah. and that's what we're always we're always sort of gently moving the conversation so that they can hear their own best answers. Yeah. In our in our book, you know, we started with this chapter on awareness, but we have a, a I don't know, Doug, what is it? It's a thing we call it AMP. Yes. Awareness, mindfulness, and presence. And we're always looking for evidence and demonstrations of that already existing in the team. And as soon as we see it, we call it out and we name it. And and we ask for engagement around like how that actually occurred. Um, and, And what we find is people in a very, very organic and very genuine way, start letting go of anything that's in the way of their awareness, mindfulness, and presence. Because they, not, they want that. 
it's it's like the glue that holds a team together. It 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 affords them being what uh, Doug. It's like collaborative. Yes. It's the engine that drives their collaboration and innovation and innate genius and all the things that 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 move them away from having to fix problems. And it's again, real quick example. Thanks, Christine, on the questions. But what typically happens is somebody in most far too many situations, someone on the team will say, here's an idea of what we can do. And someone else will say, well, here's why we did that. We tried that. And it didn't oh, yeah. work. It didn't work. And, but and then it stops. An it, yeah, it shuts it down. What's different with our facilitation is what's different this time. What did you learn from what happened last time that you can get by? What are the obstacles that would keep you from doing this? What are some ideas as to how to get past those? And there is somebody on that team that has the answers to every one of those. And then because it's their own answers, and that's the other piece on questions, is the piece that whose good ideas are people most likely going to buy into? with the least resistance. What's your sense? Who's good ideas? Yes, their own. And that's Absolutely. all we do is we just keep supplying the questions until they figure it out. Well, that's what I think is so, so powerful about what you do. That right there is that you reinforce the genius within people. You, you re- ask questions. You reflect to them their genius. Yes. That's all. And then they oh. you just hold space. <laughs> it's this is an art. You know, this takes leadership to a whole nother level, but it's oh. so simple. You just hold space for them to discover the solutions that are already in the room, which is why, you know, I'm excited to be able to do this shine experience with you because no one else, I I could design a whole program, but it's your program. And, and, you know, Doug, years ago, you worked with my father. So, you know, you and I have been close for 30 years and it's, it's in our DNA. Just just asking the questions that bring the answers out of people so they can own the solution. And then they have the pride of achievement and accomplishing that. Then you recognize that. And guess what? They want to find another solution. And they want more. It's catching. Yeah. And it's- Jill... Here's another piece of the uh, of the unlearning that is one reason why behind your success is the distinction between motivation and inspiration. Inspiration, motivation is from the outside. Go do this because you got to get it done. What you've done is created culture that inspires people that want to step up themselves. And once they experience being inspired, they don't want to go back to anything less than. And they will continually figure out how to live in that space of inspiration. I'll tell you, thank you so much, Doug, for segueing to this, because what we notice that starts that ha- that that makes a very quick shift for people. And it's really simple. It's like, when we start with the questions, and like Doug said earlier, we start with one-on-ones, we believe in them. Yes. We come in believing that the answers are within them, that they have innate genius, that, they, that their whole apparatus is set up to be highly adaptable and collaborative. And we just sit with that belief. We don't talk yeah. about it. But usually what ends up happening after a few days, a few half days, um, and this happened with a team of um, in the military. We were sitting with about 40, what, 40 of them, Doug, right? Yeah. And on the third day, one of them looked up and said, oh, my gosh. Oh, what, you, what, what you're teaching us? He's, he used the word teaching. He said, what you're te- this is all about love, he said. 
(laughs) Right. It's all about love. And he, and he was, he was excited by it because Mm -hmm. there was a, there was something mysterious about it because it's the thing that is so highly suspect. It's the thing that will tank your bottom line or, you know, create a barrier to profitability or people will will go off and have paperclip orgies you know instead <laughs> of doing their work you know if it's right. and 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 in fact the opposite is true yeah and that's going back I, to what you said earlier Jeannie about harnessing spirit well, and love it also goes back to as I'm listening to you guys what I'm realizing is too that if questions are the answer and they are and real authentic leadership that's going to get results is about learning the art of asking the right questions that spur people on to inspire them, then what we have to do is give up the other false belief that we're still in the post-industrial revolution (laughs) of factory workers telling people what to do. Yes. Get rid of the telling. Yes. Yeah. The minute you want to tell somebody something, see if you can turn it into a question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good practice, Christine. Think I want to say that again. The minute you think about telling someone something, mm-hmm. think about turning it into a question. That's good. Yeah. And telling sounds like judgment. Questions sound like opening curiosity. Yeah. It's our it's our first value, Jeannie, at the Institute. Curiosity. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, for simplification, because this is a short time, good chance the questions that are going to work best are the ones that start with what and how. Not can we do this? Because the moment we ask, can we get this done? The mind is typically going to go to the defensive Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the reasons every day, every given day, there is evidence that we can accomplish anything we want and a list of all the reasons we can't. The question is, which one are we going to put our attention on mm-hmm. and how the questions are worded has a huge impact. Like, can we do this versus how can we do this? Or what will it take? What will it take to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we definitely look forward to your book coming out. We definitely look forward to the workbook and we definitely look forward to being able to promote it because I work with globally. I mean, in my current capacity, about 70 to 80 leaders, but in my John Maxwell capacity, we have a, a little bit of on an international level of all kinds of people. And this is, this is right in alignment with what we teach, but a different presentation style. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do we have time for you to tell us what you see yeah. as the difference? Yes. I would say the, the biggest difference, there's a lot of similarity, but the biggest difference is the way that you take your two unique personalities and blend them together to present it. And that is the key. Because if you go back to John's books, there's nothing new under the sun that he writes about. What captures people is how they are engaged by the communication style. And I can tell you right now, I haven't even sat in on one of your half day workshops, but based off of everything you're telling me, The similarities are you're capturing people with the same thing. The difference is that there's no other Christine and no other Doug on the planet. Thank you. That's huge. Yeah, we all, yes, we all come through a different way. Yeah. And and one way we frame it is that we are a second set of eyes for each other. And that is how we are so different but how we work together is one of us might miss something going on and the other one will see it and how it's brought up, not make wrong for the other, but building on curiosity. what has all the curiosity of what has already been started. Our next book, we're already starting to write our next book. So we're just going to tease it here. Cause it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's about, it's about, um, Addressing the longing within leaders. Oh. 
That is all I want. Yeah. yeah. Of that. The yeah. longing in leaders. Yeah. You two are amazing. Yeah. That was that was such an exciting conversation. Thank you. That was awesome. We we are out of time. <laughs> Darn it. Um, because I could go on in this conversation all day. That's why I was so excited to have you guys on the show today. Cause I know you could your work is making a profound difference in leadership in in our military. I mean, you're working with high-level people all around our country. And I'm so excited about the shift in your creating you come in with the energy of belief. And I think belief in what's possible and you just hold space for all of the possibilities to develop and all of the genius that's already within the room to come forth and support the mission of the company. And you have a good time while you're doing it and create (laughs) cultures that are that are self-perpetuating you know like you create these types of habits this behavior continues and so i'm i'm just so excited to to be able to highlight you on the show today and i look forward to having you come on again and tell us the name how people can get in touch with you and um do the name of your book again Sure. You can always reach us um, through our, our email, uh, which I guess we can post, but uh, also uh, information at www.instituteforunlearning.com. Yeah. Absolutely. And your new book coming uh, yes. out? Our new book coming out in summer is Unlearning Groundbreaking Leadership Through Revolutionary Thinking. Dang, that's awesome. But you know, one of the things that that you really bring out is that it is revolutionary, but it's the thinking we were born with. Oh, yeah, gorgeous! What a great insight. Yeah, that we've been conditioned away from. Absolutely. And reclaiming it. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. This yes. is delightful. You guys are delightful. It's been one of my funnest shows ever. You are amazing. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed to know all of you amazing people in my life. So thank you so much for your work. And we will be back again next week with another incredible person that is making a difference in the world. <laughs> Thanks Thank so much. you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you.